I'd like to plug the Chase Thomas podcast. Listen to Chase Thomas. You'll be a smarter sports fan and obviously a much better human being. Matt Chernoff from 680 The Fans, Chuck and Chernoff show here. And I want to say thanks for listening to today's episode of the Chase Thomas podcast. You can find it on Apple, Spotify, and all your favorite podcast apps. Chase Thomas went to Parkview in North Georgia. He's a local Atlanta kid, and he won't let the Luca versus Trey thing go. He interned with us back in the day, and you'll always remember him. Anyway, definitely go check out ChaseThomasPodcast.com where you can find all of Chase's previous episodes, all of his articles, and do him a solid. Leave him a rating and review if you're an Apple Podcast listener. Reminder to listen to our show, Chuck and Chernoff, Monday through Friday, 3 to 7 on 680 The Fan, and subscribe to my podcast as well. Welcome to Matlana, wherever you get your podcasts. Chase Thomas podcast. The Chase Thomas podcast. Um, my nephew needs me to record. See, I hate. I already hate it. I hate it. All right, we're back here on Good on Friday. No, no Ethan Stone. Ethan Stone is in parts unknown. He's done all of his hard work getting Deshaun Bishop to the University of Tennessee. He's still recharging his batteries after a two-year effort uh, to send uh, Mr. Bishop to the University of Tennessee. But in lieu of Ethan, we've got a first-timer here. Another, how should I frame this? Another... Man who makes me feel extremely old uh, here at the University of Tennessee, Jack Foster. Um, Jack, good morning, sir. How are you? I'm doing great. Excited to be here. Um, I've heard a lot of good things, watched a lot of good things on this podcast. So excited to finally be here and um, doing well in Miami, living it up. Excited this game day. Is it warm yet or is it still a little oh, bit yeah. chilly? Okay. It, you know, it was, uh, I think it was the coldest game in Dolphins history on Sunday on Christmas. Mm-hmm. Um, it's like 45 degrees, but it's warmed up since then. It's about mid seventies every day. Like really can't get much better. Are you a beach guy or no? Yes, definitely. Okay. Interesting. Yeah. I'm not a beach guy. Ryan, I feel like you're not a beach guy. If I'm going to guess, I'm going to guess Ryan yeah. Schumper, who's also here at Rocky Top Insider. Are you a beach guy? I would probably be in the not a beach guy category. I wouldn't mm-hmm. say like I'm a beach hater. Like we'll, or my family will go a lot and you know, I'll go down there a couple of days, but yeah. I prefer to be golfing or doing something, being in the mountains. <laughs> about, or some, how about golfing on the beach? Golfing on the beach. It's the best of both worlds. Well, I haven't actually tried that before. Um, outside of some courses, maybe come close to touching the water. But anything I can think of is the bay, not the actual ocean. So, yeah, golf on the beach. Maybe that's that's just the way to go. I've never golfed on the beach either. Um, that's probably something I need to do. Um, but I think the beach was done for me. Like I, I'm going to be at war with the beach and the ocean for the rest of my life. Um, uh, my wife tans very easily and uh, loves the beach and would live on the beach if she could. And uh, my complexion does not really work for constant beach. I'm the at 31. You got to protect yourself even more. Like I'm a I'm a long sleeve shirt, like a comfortable long sleeve shirt at the beach kind of guy. And there's there's nothing that makes you feel more washed and more out of, out of your element than being at a being in Miami or something with a long sleeve Columbia PFG shirt where you're like, I can't have fun like the rest of the kids because I don't want skin cancer. I'm the same way. I burn like crazy, but I just. I just deal with it, and I yeah. don't care. Like you just got to embrace it. There's no shame in those long sleeve shirts. I do the same thing. So yeah, see, right we gotta, you just yeah. Maybe I need to see. This is why you're here, Jack, to help me get through this, <laughs> uh, work through these uh, personal limitations. So, um, speaking of limitations, Joe Milton is going to. <laughs> <laughs> I 
The quote Deion Sanders. Now that was a good one. Now that was a good one. <laughs> um, Joe Milton is going to be the quarterback uh, here. On uh, We're taping this on a Friday morning. Uh, Tennessee plays in a little less than 12 hours from now. And look, one of the weirdest things, and I wonder uh, from y'all's perspective if you share this, because uh, I was talking to Connor O'Gara of Saturday Night South about this yesterday. And something that I think everyone here in Knoxville and you talk to any media folks or any fans about Joe Milton, it's like everyone is grateful for him sticking through it for two years. Everyone wants Joe Milton to succeed. And then it's like, okay, let's move past those 30 seconds of pleasantries. Like, let's move past that part of it because he's a good dude by all accounts. Him and Hinder, Hinden are cool. He's helped Hinden Hooker a lot. Talent's all there. And you're like, okay, can we stop just starting these conversations that way? Can we move forward just a little bit? And then we're like, but honestly, do you see this going well? Do you, do you see this actually going well? And everyone's like, well, no. And no one wants to say that. Everyone is just like, this could be the start of a Heisman campaign next year. I Like everyone wants to say that. And I'm like, you know, that's not what's happening here. You know, we're not going from Hendon Hooker Heisman to Joe Milton Heisman. You you know what we saw in the Vanderbilt game, the overthrows and everything else. You you, you know that this is still just, it's it's never going to all add up. Like, we, you know, deep down that Nico Yamaliava is not sitting on the bench for a full 12 games next year. Like, you know, at your core, that that is not how next season's going to go. You know that like, this is probably going to be rough tonight. Like, I, I hate that pit in my stomach where I'm like, I just feel... No Hyatt, no Tillman, no Jeremy Banks. I'm just looking around like this. I, we all feel it and no one wants to do it because this season's been great. And you go 10 and 2 and everyone wants Joe Milton to succeed. And everyone at the pit of their stomach is like, I just don't, I don't feel it. Do you, do you share that sentiment, Jack? Um, probably not as much as it feels like you do. Um, I am a little <laughs> bit more of a believer in Joe Milton. I know Ryan and I have had discussions and it was before the Vanderbilt game actually. Mm. And I was optimistic about Milton playing Vanderbilt given he had so much time to improve in Hypo's system. And it, it frankly, yeah, it didn't happen. Now the weather wasn't good. It was rainy and just muggy and they ran the ball and they were able to run the ball at will. So there wasn't a huge need for Milton to throw the ball. I mean, it was 56-0, but yeah, still, the th- the overthrows he made can't give you much confidence. He has had another month to prepare, but with a defense like Clemson's, I don't have a lot of confidence in Joe Milton. Although, I, in the same breath, I will say he is the X factor for Tennessee tonight. If he can make those throws, Clemson's defense, if they're going to get got anywhere, it's on the back end. It's in the secondary. So, if Milton can make those throws, if he really has turned a leaf in the month of December somehow, then Tennessee may very well win this game. But that's wishful thinking for sure. And if you're talking about long term, I feel what you're saying with Nico ended up ending up taking over the starting job. I feel like that's probably what's going to happen. But hey, man, if there's an opportunity for Milton to get a leg up on the competition, show what he's made of and show he can be the guy. It's against Clemson right now. Also, you know he's gonna love. I, Ryan, you remember when I like I first got up here in 2020, like <laughs> being in the stands when Joe Milton was overthrowing guy after guy in the pit game at home and i was just around so many people who were just shouting and losing their mind for harrison bailey like we're just like how is harrison bailey harrison bailey yeah how is he not in this game 
can you like I don't think anyone's prepared and this is part of the reason that Tennessee I think is going to struggle getting a big name transfer and why they have to this point is that who wants to be in front of Nico right now maybe the highest profile five-star quarterback in this class where like any wrong move this fan base is going to be screaming for Nico the first overthrow from Joe on that Thursday night opener we're like, all right, what are we doing here? Are, are we really running it back for year three? Are we, what are we doing? And the Nico chants are going to be insane. Like he's just going to, there's so much oxygen. I saw him uh, in Old City the other day and he was with his dad and you could just see people just like look around. They, they just stand out and like kids are dapping him up and like trying to find him. Like it's just, he's a celebrity. Like he is the biggest celebrity in Knoxville. And I just don't, I don't see that going well for any transfer quarterback like Spencer Sanders like coming in. It's like, I don't want to deal with that. I don't want to deal with somebody like and it's not Nico's fault. None of this is Nico's fault. It's just the gravity of bringing in someone of Nico's pedigree and caliber. I just I don't I don't think it's going to be fun. And I think Joe is just going to be under fire no matter what, even if he's good in this game. It's just any bad throw or any misstep by him next year it's just gonna be nico 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 because that's just that's how fans are wired and it's especially how tennessee fans are wired well i have a lot of thoughts and Mm -hmm. first i want to i want to say thanks for we're just diving we're just diving right into next year's quarterback room because that's really (laughs) when you're talking about what you care about in the orange bowl tonight it's how joe milton plays because what is next year's quarterback room Mm -hmm. so you we haven't even gotten the discussion of why we have we this is the reason Mm -hmm. um I guess my first thought is I would I think that's why you started this whole thing. You were like everyone says Jermont's such a good guy. I think that's why you just said is why because everyone knows everybody hated this guy last year. He yep. ran out of, out of bounds on the last play of the Ole Miss game at the seven yard line, and he has through goodwill, through being a good teammate, he has been good citizen in Knoxville. He has endeared himself to people, and I think all the media people know. Just what you just said. The first time you over with those people next year, everyone's going to want Nico when he's going to mm-hmm. be hated. I think that's why you get that uh, kind of perspective or outlook on it from media people because they know the other shoe is going to drop if Milton struggles. Mm-hmm. And all we've seen to this point is Joe Milton struggle in, in any games he's had to play when it's competitive. Uh, I don't agree with your your thoughts on uh, the transfer as m- portal as much, especially if you get a guy mm-hmm. like Sanders who just has one year. I think that is one. I think Tennessee seems pretty content to not add a quarterback and, and to just roll mm. uh, with Milton and Nico. And I think a big reason because of that, and the bigger issue you get with the quarterback is quarterbacks and NIL venture in, in the transfer portal. If you're going to get a top one, Tennessee's they're invested in NIL capital at quarterback and Nico. So I don't think they have the resources to go pay what it's going to take or have the deals what it's going to take to get a, an elite quarterback in the transfer portal. Um, and again, I, They've showed a lot of confidence besides that, that they think uh, they can just roll um, with Milton. But no, I, I think besides that, everything you said is right. And I don't see – it's hard to see a path next year to Nico starting game one because Milton is the guy who's paid his dues and because his teammates like him and because he's whatever he's going to be, a 24-year-old in his sixth year of college football. And Nico is the opposite of all those things. Uh, at least he hasn't going to have had a whole lot of time to win his teammates over. But I think you're right. It's hard to imagine a scenario next year where Joe Milton starts uh, all 12 games for Tennessee. Yeah. Unless there's yeah. some radical, unless he turns the corner, unless it puts everything together, which you can't rule out, <laughs> but there's certainly a lot more to indicate that's not going to happen than there is to indicate that it will happen. 
And that's that's the most significant part about this game for Joe Milton is that he doesn't have a lot of room for error because if he struggles in this game and if he struggles a lot, then it's going to be sound the alarms. Let's get Nico in there day one. Right. And yeah. I, I think even if he has a bad night, it won't matter. Like uh, Joe Milton will still start game one, assuming they don't add a transfer portal guy. But as far as Tennessee fans perspective concerned, as far as what you were talking about, Chase, definitely imperative that Joe Milton has a decent night tonight in the orange bowl just to get that off his back to get the pressure off his back and tennessee fans will be okay with moving with milton game one and then you just go from there i uh <laughs> you, you want to lose a fan base quickly it's like if milton just implodes tonight and you're like and he stays and the whole off season is about like look we're committed to joe like fans <laughs> with that yeah. amount of off season and that amount of time to be like are we really just going into the spring giving like that is 1000% the comment section for every UT uh, message board and everything else is like, we can't be serious. This is not a serious uh, conversation. We're going, and even if it's fair or not. So it's like the pressure for Joe to um, do well is so imperative. I think it's more imperative for the fans and the coaches. Cause the coaches have said like, wasn't it Halsey this week? It was like, it's going to be an open competition in the spring. Like it's not mm-hmm. Joe's job and it's not going to be Joe's job depending on how he does today. Like we're not going to let that influence um, which way we go uh, for the fall. Um, and it's also like we need to allocate just some NIL money and just like the Taven Jackson uh, stay at all costs fund. where It's like just whatever it takes. We don't ever actually want you to be the starting quarterback. We also just never want you to leave uh, barring injury. So like what is it going to cost to just keep you happy and enjoying your Knoxville life? Because you are you were compared to Jordan Love on 24-7 sports when you came in. How about you just p- fulfill that prophecy? of what Jordan Love has done in Green Bay and just be the the permanent backup uh, to Nico and or Joe for four years. And then you go as a grad transfer to somewhere else and ball out for a year at Utah State. How about you do that? Um, that would that would be great. So I, I would this is just an idea. Um, Spire Sports, whoever, if you want to run with this of just the NIL backup quarterback subsidiary of the collective, I would highly emphasize investing a lot into that because not everyone can be Georgia where you're just stockpiling these five stars. And for whatever reason, they're just not not leaving yet. Um, I don't know what um, in terms of actual game plan. I, I think the biggest concern I have is actually not even Joe. It's Jeremy Banks is not playing in this game. And I <laughs> will see what the linebacker play looks like. But the last time we saw this Tennessee defense without Jeremy Banks was um, <laughs> quite bad. So I think that's an under talked about point two. Um Ryan, when you look at this defense without Jeremy Banks tonight, how do you see this going? Yeah, I mean, that's it's a good question. And I don't think it'll be as glaring a loss as it was in the South Carolina game. Mm. And that's probably the most generic statement ever because the defense played as bad as possible in the South Carolina game. Jawan Mitchell looked like he was out there playing in slow motion and <laughs> – you're like, wow, you could really use Jeremy Jeremy Banks out there. I, you know, I think this is going to be a game where Clemson's going to be able to score in the 30s. Uh, I don't think Clemson will fully lean in on, into throwing the ball all over the yard, kind of like South Carolina did, kind of like a lot of teams have, in a lot of cases, been forced to do against Tennessee because they're down. And that, I don't foresee Tennessee jumping out to a big lead in this game. I, I think you'll see uh, Clemson play a little bit more cons- conservatively, run the ball a lot, and I think that – bodes well for Tennessee that bodes well for the absence of Jeremy Banks and I 
I guess what I say all that to say, I don't think it's going to be great for Tennessee. I don't think it's going to be as catastrophic as people would probably worry, worst-case scenario, which those concerns are fair given that we've seen it. To me, what I think his absence becomes interesting to me is uh, I want to see what uh, Elijah Herring does tonight. Does he get hmm. more playing time? Because he's the guy that I'm excited about for next year. And uh, I think uh, obviously we know Banks is gone next year. Juwan Mitchell, as an announcement, he's doing. He could be gone as well. Um, and so Solomon Page third is gone. So there's going to be a lot of turnover in, in Tennessee's linebacker room, and that's really the only place in Tennessee's whole defense there's going to be a lot of turnover. So you know there's going to be a lot of new faces, obviously a really talented linebacker class coming in, but uh, I think Elijah Herring is the one young guy on campus uh, that has been really promising. So I'm excited to see, one, just how much confidence, how much trust the Tennessee's coaches have in him tonight and giving him some playing time, and if he does, what he's able to do when he's out there. Ahead, yeah, it's, it, it's tough for Tennessee's defense because Clemson is a run-first offense. I mean, they mm-hmm. have two great backs in Shipley and Moffa, and Kate Klubnick's a dual threat as well. He can beat you with his legs. And this is a guy in Klubnick who doesn't have a lot of experience. Sure, he had one really good game against North Carolina, who is a very bad defense. In my opinion, they're worse defense than Tennessee is. You know, we've seen Tennessee's defense be really bad. Um, and the circumstances surrounding Jeremy Banks is totally different. Mm-hmm. It was a surprise in the South Carolina game. I'm sure it was little i don't obviously i don't know what all happened and the details and you know just how tennessee's defense outside of banks felt about that whole situation but you know why banks isn't playing in this game it's because of a good reason he's opting out to go to the next stage of his career so given the circumstances i don't think it'll affect tennessee's defense as much but it is unfortunate because like i said clemson's a run first team and if you can stop Clemson's running game, I think you have a better chance at limiting the Tigers to scoring, like Ryan said, in the 30s. Yeah, I am. I'm curious to see what the secondary looks like, too, because it feels like this is the healthiest the secondary has been. Is there anyone in particular that you're really excited to see how they fare in this one, Jack? Um, uh, No one in particular. I mean, it's just kind of been a carousel of who plays good on any given night in the secondary all season long. You know, it's, it's some nice guy like Danico Slaughter will have a great day and then he'll just be the worst db and that tennessee has so it's just uh it's just take your pick really um i I feel like they're probably gonna need to force a couple turnovers so if they can get a pick or two off of club nick that will be huge um kamal Haddon has been you know good at intercepting the ball here and there safety's got to play well um because clemson's tight end game is pretty good so no no one in particular because i just don't think anyone stands out but you mentioned this is the healthiest they've been, and that's big because they haven't been healthy a lot. So and healthy on a big game like this, that'll bode well. I also really like um, just the fact that Tennessee, like you said, um, Jack, uh, Will Shipley, obviously an X-factor for Clemson, and this one has been great for them all year long. The thing when everyone was talking about Tennessee's defense and crushing Tennessee's defense that it was overlooked week over week is like, no, the run defense is good. Like They're a top 20-ish run defense, and – they have been that way all season long. And <clears throat> even without Jeremy Banks in this one, I still feel like they're going to be okay with Will Shipley. Like, I'm not worried about Will Shipley killing this team. If Clemson wins this game, it's because Kate Klubnick destroyed him on the outside. And Kate Klubnick was doing the Matt Corral thing, <laughs> third and eight, and then dance out of the pocket. Tennessee doesn't um, keep him inside. Byron Young, Tyler Barron, whoever just misses. And then he gets the eight yards and another first down. And they just keep the ball and they just keep killing Tennessee with those little just stab wounds to the side. And you're just like, can we get one stop on one of these rollouts? One of these uh, third and six uh, quarterback scrambles. But I I don't know. I think on the offensive side, Ryan, when you look at the wide receiver rotation that it's going to be, who do you expect to have the best day 
uh, with the opportunity that they have in front of them? It's a good question because I think to me there's, well, I don't even know how to say obvious candidates, but if Joe Milton plays well to me, it's for a white because hmm. I think Tennessee will be able to hit some balls over top. If Milton is playing well and Jack, you mentioned that that's kind of the weakness of the Clemson defense is the secondary and the ability to give up some of the deep stuff. But at the same time, we haven't seen – we've seen Squirrel White in the screen game. We've seen him in the deep game. We haven't seen him in the intermediate game much. And obviously, Cedric Tillman has been the main intermediate guy for this team the last two years. Jalen Hyatt has or morphed into it a little bit more in the second half of the season. Um, but to me, I think it's got to be Brew McCoy because Keaton – Ramon Keaton's going to come back, and he's going to have a big role next year as well. But Brew McCoy has that body. He needs – he's the guy I foresee in the future being the Tennessee third and intermediate guy to come back route, run it to the sticks, run two yards past the sticks, catch the ball. To me, he's that guy, and this is a game uh, against – a good front seven who you're not going to have time to take shots every single time. Uh, I think you're going to need someone like that to be good in the intermediate game. And to me, McCoy's the most obvious candidate. And I think, again, that's what makes this game exciting. And kind of what we were talking about earlier is obviously I think everyone would like to see Cedric Tillman. They'd like to see Jalen Hyatt, but it is kind of nice to outside of Darnell Wright, this is Tennessee's, and I guess Jerome Carvin too. This is Tennessee's offense next season out there. These are going to be the guys that you're going to be seeing in, whatever it's going to be eight months when they take the field against Virginia. So it's a fun early audition or a kind of early look into what this offense can look like next season. I say fun. It's Joe Milton, the quarterback. It could very easily not be fun, but potentially, potentially fun. Yeah, he exactly. plays solid, not even great. It's not to, that's again, I think, and Jack, you, you said this a minute ago. Obviously everyone would love for Joe Milton to play great tonight. Joe Milton just needs to not be bad. He needs to – put enough faith he needs to give the fan base enough faith that okay this guy can be a solid starter for us next year and uh, i think you know even if he does that he doesn't have to be great i think it will be certainly very interesting and kind of exciting to watch some of the things tennessee's offense does tonight yeah i mean if tennessee loses by 10 and milton plays clean and it doesn't there's not any just totally head scratching plays he'll hit that'll be fine that'll that'll be a pass he will pass the test you know even if they lose it's not like tennessee has to win you know because of joe milton or anything but um, as far as the receivers go, it's got to be Brew McCoy. He matches up well against Clemson's DBs. Mm. He's got the size advantage. And against a defense like Clemson's, I feel like if you're going to win the game, you cannot be taking – you got to be smart when you take chances. And if Squirrel White's going to have a big game, it's because you're taking those chances, right? You're going over the top. But you got to be smart when you do that. It's got to be just on the second and short situations, maybe on some first down play calls, because you got to have high percentage plays to be able to put together drives against a defense like Clemson's. So, Brew McCoy is that guy. He's the high-percentage target, right? He's going to catch a lot of balls thrown his way. He's got glue for hands. He's made some great catches this year. So, to me, Brew McCoy is the receiver to watch in this game for Tennessee. I think it's Dante Thornton when he comes out of the tunnel and you're just like, who is that? And it's just like, who who is that? Because if Luke Fickle can coach the bowl game for Wisconsin when he has not been the coach for Wisconsin all season long, let's get rid of all the rules. Like he's silently enrolled at Tennessee mid to oh, winter term because we, we love those. He just people didn't know they weren't checking Dante Thornton's uh, just his winter class load here at UT. And he's like, I'm eligible. And he comes out of the tunnel and he's like, this is me. This is my time. Jalen Hyatt like passes number 11 and he wears Jalen Hyatt's number 11 jersey in honor of his time at Tennessee. A real um, A.J. Brown, Josh Dobbs situation. Yeah. It, it, many are saying it's it's fate. The same week that Josh Dobbs debuts for the Titans, the Tennessee Titans. I don't know. It feels, feels very possible. Um, 
I don't know. I think it's interesting that you said that a lot of this is like a preview of what the offense looks like next year. I don't know because Tennessee has obviously been active in the portal in the tight end market. It looks like Jacob Bourne is going to come back, which is huge. Um, you get the kid from UC Davis to come along with him. Ethan Davis is coming into the fold. I'm going to guess uh, with what we've seen from him. And he played at a really powerhouse school down here in Georgia at Collins Hill. I'm going to guess he gets finds his way into the scheme sooner rather than later. And then you just have so many talented running backs that, I mean, if you land Marshawn Lloyd, I mean, I we'll see what happens there when Austin Price was saying it was 50-50 on him and a couple of the other guys. It's like, I don't know. I think this offense still could look really different than what we're going to see in this one. It might be a different quarterback, multiple different uh, linemen. We, they're still looking at another offensive tackle in the transfer portal. They might be, uh, we, who knows if it's Mincy and or Crawford at left tackle again next year um the tight end rotation will be a little bit different i also just it's weird that squirrel or like they're looking at guys in the slot and it's not just going to be squirrel white show brew in cedric tillman spot and then ramel keaton out wide i think they know if they can get better with at least two of those three more condition that they would rather do that and find more bridge guys to be ready for nathan laycock uh to just grow and be uh just get him more time before he's thrust into a major role. But I don't know. I, I think the, my gut tells me there's still going to be one big difference in the, the wide out uh, space for sure uh, for Tennessee next year. I don't think they're going in with these three. That makes you're sense. Probably, yeah. yeah. You're probably right that there's another guy they bring in. I do think, and you kind of touched on this to me, it's been interesting. It seems like they've, they've targeted a lot more slot guys. And yeah, I mean, you just said it. Like, it's not all completely in on Squirrel White. And that doesn't mean Squirrel White won't play a lot, even if they land one of those guys. But it, it, to me, it seemed like it would be a White guy and a guy that would take Keith's playing time before mm-hmm. it would be a guy that takes White's playing time. So you're right. Uh, I mean, it's not going to be exactly the same. I personally, again, eight months from opening kickoff in Nissan Stadium, I don't foresee the tight end, the tight end room having a much bigger role in the offense next mm-hmm. year. I think in time, Ethan Davis carves that out. But to me, I don't see that with, you know, bringing in McCaskill's from UC Davis and having Jacob Warren back. And Ethan Davis coming off an injury that cost him basically his entire high school senior season. So we'll see. But uh, I certainly think it's going to be a lot of of the same guys. And I think you're right. uh, Probably the most interesting or maybe surprising position, the way Tennessee's recruited in the portal to me to this point has been receiver. Jack, your official prediction for this game. How do you see it ultimately going? Um, I feel like it's going to be a close first half, may even be tied at the first half. Clemson is notorious for having horrific first halves. They cannot Mm. play first half football for some reason. So it may be even Tennessee's leading at the break, but I do think the Tigers pull away in the end. Maybe a couple of offense mistakes on Tennessee's side. Uh, I got Clemson winning 37 to 28. What about you, Ryan? I've Clemson winning 34-24. I think a lot of what, Jack said, I think it's pretty accurate. Uh, I see it being just a little bit more low scoring because I don't think, you know, Milton's going to be great. And I think Clemson plays this game pretty conservatively if they lead uh, in the second half. So uh, we'll see. But one uh, I give, if you can get Clemson with less than seven points, I think you take him. I think, like I said, I think they'll win by 10, but. Uh, whatever the line's hovering around right now, I have a, I have a hard time seeing Tennessee uh, covering and kind of have a hard time seeing them win outright, to be honest. 
I think enough money is coming on Tennessee. Last time I checked Caesars, it was four and a half for Clemson. So it started started around a touchdown. So yeah, it's come down. That's the last number I saw too. And then I saw somewhere else that it was higher as well. So I've seen kind of a disparity in the last 24 hours of, of what the numbers are, but you're right. It definitely is trending in Tennessee's direction. I think Tennessee wins. I don't think Clemson, look, Dabo may have always been NIL at uh, Clemson University. He may forget that he was on NIL before NIL. He just had his own version of said NIL. And that's great. I just, K. Klubnik is, what he did against UNC's defense, you, people compared Tennessee's defense to North Carolina's, and it's like, the, it's a very, very different situation here. And I don't think Clemson's going to be able to run on Tennessee. And when I think about what this means to Clemson, this is like one of those, it kind of, it, I just think it means a lot more to Tennessee too, where Tennessee wants to finish 11 and three. They want to do this for Hendon. A lot of guys up and out. It helps that Jalen Hyatt will be there. I think a lot of the guys are helping um, this week and Hendon Hooker, obviously helping with game plan prep and all that. I, I'm pretty optimistic. I think that they ultimately win this game. And because of the slow start stuff that you said, um, Jack, I, I don't think Clemson can play from behind. I don't think Tennessee is in a position where I see them getting up 28-7 and they blow it against Clemson. I think they're going to be up after the first quarter. I mean, it was a tradition unlike any other last year where you should always take Tennessee to be up after the first quarter. It's easy money. Even Georgia week, I, I made a big bet on Tennessee being up after the first quarter. And I just... I think they're going to out. I don't think Clemson's offense can out can keep up with them. I really don't. I think this would be Tennessee would be favored if DJ was under center for Clemson. I don't even think it's a question that Tennessee would be. Yeah, favored I would pick Tennessee if DJ was playing. And it's funny because it's like we've only seen a little bit of Klubnik full time. We've only seen him against the North Carolina defense full time. That's it. That's the only iteration we've seen of him as a true freshman. Tennessee is going to throw some stuff. I think they're going to be aggressive. I think they're going to try and get in his face. I think they're going to send a lot of guys and play zone a lot of zone coverage and try and just confuse him and send a lot of pressure his way. Uh, without Jeremy Banks, they'll be a little bit hurt. But, I mean, we know how much they rotate in the defensive line. I think some of these guys are going to get home. I think the fact that Clemson is missing multiple big players in the defensive line is going to hurt because that would be something you don't want to deal with with Joe Milton early in this one. But I think he's going to have time in the pocket. And I think... Tennessee actually wins. I'm going to say Tennessee 38, Clemson 23. Wow. I don't think Clemson's going to score that much. You really That's... just I, I I have to give I have to give you credit for the ability to we talk, we've been talking on here for 28 minutes <laughs> and then everything you just said in your game prediction did not match up what you said about <laughs> Joe Milton and the rest of the game. <laughs> That is how I see it because like I just I'm such a believer in this offense. They are the number one scoring offense to this point in the country. They are still the number one team in scoring offense. That was with Hendon. Uh, great. Vanderbilt. Yeah, this should have been Heisman and the Bolitnikoff winner who are both yeah. not playing. I think people are just discounting Heupel's play calling. And I, I think we're discounting. Just, I'm not discounting it. I saw it last year and Joe Milton couldn't hit the guys open down the field. <laughs> It might not I be saw it Joe, though. And Joe Milton couldn't hit the guys who opened up. It might be Dylan Sampson just has a crazy, crazy not, night. It they're not going to be able to run the ball at will against Clemson. They, I don't know. I Maybe know that it's a three-headed monster. Tennessee's running backs are great. Yeah. But Clemson's run D, even without Murphy and those other guys, they're still going to be able to stop. Yeah. I don't yeah. know. Give me. And like, I think you're underestimating <laughs> Will Shipley, too. Like it, Tennessee's not shutting down him. I think he's going to have a He's one of the best backs day. in college football. 
Jack, you heard Jack really hates the University of Tennessee. The guy graduates. He works with Greg McElroy for a little bit, and he I just he forgets his, who he forgets uh, he forgets his roots. And you know, it's sad to see. It's sad. I mean, sad I picked to see. Tennessee to score twenty eight points. Mm-hmm. Clemson doesn't let a lot of teams score twenty eight. So I just I don't know. I don't think it's going to be it. I and you know it's going to be weird. And then I still am not sold on the Joe Milton stuff like we talked about for the last thirty minutes. I still think they're going to win this game. I still think it's going to be, what if we get Taven in this one? What if Joe's benched or he's knocked out and we just get an ultimate Taven Jackson game? And then the QB controversy gets even crazier. That would be my favorite is if Taven has to be inserted and it just balls out. Uh, and then you're like, I have no idea what the quarterback room looks like in the fall. Like that, we'll, we'll see. That that would be the best just chaos scenario because I think it's going to be chaos anyway. Uh, be the best story be- for sure. Yes, be the best story. So from a sports writer's perspective, I love it. And it, really anything that could stir the flames of competition in that quarterback mm-hmm. room entering the offseason would be would be awesome because you kind of said it at literally the very beginning of this podcast. Feels like we're in we're entering an offseason of everybody trying to talk themselves into Joe Milton and kind of in the classic NFL draft form of you're not talking about them when the season ends, but by the time the combine comes around, you're looking at all the tools, you're talking yourself into it. That's kind of what I foresee the Joe Milton offseason thing. So anything that takes us away from that, I'm here for. Uh, we'll end on this. Uh, Ryan, which was uh, your favorite of the three Tennessee threes on Wednesday night in Oxford? What was your favorite? <laughs> it was the transition one to tie it. Mayshack yeah. had to steal a little throwback to Vescovy. I mean, Vescovy hit all three of them, so I guess that doesn't do anything mm-hmm. to specify it. But the transition one to tie the game at about, I want to say maybe 49 uh, midway through the first half. That was, that was that was it for me. Jack, what about you? You have two options. I can't pick the transition three? No. <laughs> that was it. my favorite one. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know. Yeah. I, dude, I, I remember that play, and I remember Ryan emphasizing it in his article. So, like, that's that's my, that's my decision. Yeah, the other two weren't very noteworthy. Yeah, it's mm. just going to be hit one real early lame. in the game. He hit lame. one to go up, like, 7-2 to two or maybe 7-3, to three, and I don't even remember when he hit his other one. So, maybe, maybe the other one was Chase's favorite. Uh, I mean, they were all my favorite equally. I, I just, I, I love them so much. I have to go back and be like, this might be the last time I see a three in this game. So I got to like pause it, take it all in and then uh, keep going with the game. Um, it's, it's great. Uh, every game is just going to be uh, just pulling teeth uh, <laughs> to survive uh, for Tennessee without Josiah Jordan James. I, I don't know. I don't know if we see him. The, the, uh, we're getting closer and closer to like, are we getting, he's just doing a bit. Uh, on the sideline he's now warming up before all these games and he's like nope Thank- uh, i'm not <laughs> i'm not gonna go out there and i'm actually curious of both of y'all's thoughts is mm. and ryan i haven't talked to you about this but yeah the josiah situation I, I it feels like tennessee has said it's up to him right like mm. it's his call and if it's his call i would be fighting tooth and nail to get playing time because you're not to me he's not gonna get drafted if he just doesn't play this season i really don't think mm. so no i, I mean so to me, it, you, you're just wasting opportunities after opportunities. And hey, I know he was – well, he didn't play, but, you know, he dressed, he dressed out. out. So that's a step in the right direction, especially heading into SEC play. Maybe he plays the SEC home opener, but I don't know. I just feel like he's wasting opportunities here sitting out these games. Yeah, I mean, I don't think – I don't know. I, I think not a ton of – you know, a ton of people will truly know the answer to this question, but, you know, I don't – I think if he could play, he'd be out there. You know, I think okay. the pain is, is that bad. And uh, to me, I'm, I'm with you. I mean, it's it's hard for me to see 
not him playing again this year. I think he'll play again this year, but it's hard for me to see him playing three straight games at any point in the season. I mean, he, you know, Jack, you were at some of them preseason. We're watching him every week, multiple times a week, and he's doing very, very little five-on-five, five, almost all working on, on the side. And then he comes out to play the first game of the year, and he plays three games, and he has to, uh, you know, go back to the bench and start rehabbing it again. And it's, it's like if he couldn't with how little he was doing in – the preseason, if he can't play more than three games on it, it's hard for me to see what it's going to take for him to be able to play extended yeah. amount of games on it. So it'll be interesting to see. To me, they need to – right now it's been such a game-to-game basis, and that's what they've said. That's what Josiah said. To me, it needs to be something they plan out to try to get – find two games in a row. He want a big two-game stretch. You feel like he can play. Maybe that's – I think they go Kentucky, Mississippi State, LSU, three straight games. Kentucky at home, the next two on the road. Say, all right, let's do everything we can to have you ready for this three-game stretch. Let's readdress – you know, after that, the stretch is over, we'll figure things out again. You'll sit out a couple games. We'll find another stretch. To me, that's the way they need to be doing it because, uh, again, it just seems unrealistic to think it's going to heal itself to the point he can be 100% for extended amounts of time this year. And – uh, to me, it feels like going game to game is not the most efficient way of figuring out how to get to your point, Jack, to figuring out how to get them on the on the court uh, the most amount of time. Yeah, and I mean, health is number one priority. You know, if if it's if it's that you don't want to risk any long term injury or anything like that, so you, his health is definitely the number one priority. And if he is not ready to go, then so be it. He needs to sit out. But yeah, it it does feel like for Tennessee's sake and for Josiah's sake, you know, the sooner the better, of course. I just feel like we have our own Kawhi situation where it's like, no matter what happens this year, it's like as someone who's dealt with knee issues and um, I just broke my foot a couple months ago and rehabbing that, like I just, part of it's a mental thing of trusting it. Like, I don't think triple J is in a situation where he's going to trust his knee fully this year. Like, I think that's part of this. There is a mental roadblock where you're like, I don't want to tear my ACL. I don't want to tear it. I got to be careful with how much I'm uh, straining it. And basketball is obviously extremely hard on your knees. And you can do whatever you can pregame. You can rehab as much as you want. But like once he's in games, like he's still going to have to trust that knee. And he's still going to have to be like, how much pain should I play through? Because there's going to be pain. The fact like there's not going to be a point in this year where he's going to be able to avoid knee pain. And if that's the case, I I don't know. Like Ryan said, like he's going to have to be like a one game a week person or he's just going to no no back to backs. But it's like obviously they don't have that in college basketball, but it's like maybe you just you're gone for this week and then we're rehabbing and just getting you right. And then you just go all out the other weeks or you play every game, but you're only you're on a huge minutes restriction where you're playing five minutes in the first half, maybe 10 in the second and that's it. And we have to figure out how to maximize that time with you. I don't know. I um, I'm pretty it, it's just it it's so unfortunate because he's such a great dude and you he's so important to this offense that like it's got to suck for him because the he watched this team offensively without him. He's their best shooter. The team can't make a deep run without him. Like Tyreek, you hoped would be that guy, and you're Josiah like, Josiah James is Tennessee's best shooter. Yeah, He's I, don't best shooter. I, I don't At know if I don't know if I'm making. What have I said? Do you remember, Ryan, Ryan, do you remember last year when you were like criticizing that Texas? three that he missed at the buzzer and no, i was like I, it was I the great shot because i was and, not criticizing it 
And I was like, Brian, you need to be okay with that shot because you live and die by Josiah Jordan James with that look every single time. And you were like, yeah, no. I, I agreed with you. No, but you he's were not like, Santiago Vescovi. He's not Santiago Vescovi with guys hounding him every second. Of, you're not going to get two inches of separation and still shoot. He's going to st- still, well, he's struggled so far this year, but I still think we'll shoot over 37, 38% from three. We don't know yet. Who's been the better shooter this year, Ryan? Who's the best? I will take I will take Santiago Vescovi's shooting production this year for Tennessee over Josiah Jordan James's. All right, well, let's make this happen, Coach Barnes. Like, I want to get in the gym. I want to watch them three point contest, just Triple J and Vescovi, and see who wins. This is a really worrisome take. <laughs> <laughs> I don't even think like, he's second. Like, you have said things that I have disagreed with on this podcast before. Mm-hmm. Very oftentimes, you've been right. Mm-hmm. Uh, never in those times have I been like, I don't see where he's coming from. What? Why is he saying this? This is the first time. Like, no, why are you? Why here's are you saying? Who is holding it? I'm out. Who in the James family has a gun to the Chase's <laughs> head outside of the camera? I, I need to know. <laughs> I'm just saying. How many times at the top of the key are you ever concerned it's not going in? When you swing the ball to Josiah Jordan James at the top of the key, three point line. When are you ever concerned it's not going in? Every Vescovy shot at this point is just like. I don't know. I, I don't know. Probably a miss. And then he's going to try and get an offensive rebound because he's going to immediately follow because he's great about that. He runs right after his shot. But like, I don't know. I think I, I think you're just I think James makes some bigger shots and like bigger mm. moments like he's more of a clutch shooter, maybe. But Vescovy is definitely overall the better shooter. I don't think the first cool. time Vescovy gets a clean look from the top of the key. It will be the first time in about 18 months as there well, too. Yeah, I mean, it's the way the teams are defending him to run him off the three-point line. And the fact that he hit 103 pointers last season is an accomplishment that should not be looked over, or glossed over. And it's being more than glossed over in the Chase Thomas podcast. Right 37% now. right I mean, now for Josiah Jordan James, Ryan Chamber. <laughs> 37%. Do you know what Vescovy is shooting right now? He was at 32, I believe, before the old Miss game. And he went four of sevens. He goes maybe even three to seven. He went three um, to seven. So I'm guessing he's a little bit, you know, thirty-three percent maybe. He's at thirty-three percent exactly. That's a good call. Math guy. That guy. <laughs> Many forget Ryan <laughs> Shepard minored in math at the University of Tennessee. Seventy-five percent from three the last two games. So and again, like people were texting me. I guess it would have been after Arizona during the Arizona game because he didn't shoot well during that game and you know worried about it. It's like to me, he's just he's just too good a shooter. He's not going to. Sh- stay in this cold stretch forever. He's been really good shooting the ball the last two games. He was the best player on the court in Oxford two nights ago, largely due to what he could do at three-point line and largely due to how hard Ole Miss was trying to drive him off the three-point line, the way he was able to score off the basket off that. So, um, yeah, I, I guess I'm just kind of rambling at this point. But we haven't talked much um, about the Ole Miss game. Vescu was incredible uh, for the second straight yeah. year against the Rebels. Um, but, yeah, that's – I would probably even go Tyreek Key over Josiah, but that one's would tight. That one's tight. Looks, and I do I think, think everything you're saying about Tennessee's offense, it being a big boost of having Josiah, I think for the most part that's all accurate, though I don't think if you just like throw Josiah in Tuesday night against Mississippi State, it's going to radically change the offense because he hasn't had the reps. But if you had a healthy Josiah, I do think your point is valid. That would go a long way for helping this offense. Mm-hmm. Jack, yes. what can the good folks check out from you over at Omaha Productions, over at Rocky Top Insider, everywhere else? You're all over the place. 
Yeah, of course. Um, especially Rocket Top Insider tonight, Orange Bowl coverage. Rick Butler now will have full stuff. Ryan as well um, over at RocketTopInsider.com. All socials at Rocket Top Insider. And then if you want to support the show I produce, it's Greg McElroy's Always College Football. Runs Monday through Friday. About 35 to 45 minutes an episode. We have interviews. We have a lot of fun. And it's, uh, you can find it on ESPN College Football YouTube and also on social media at AlwaysCFB. Also give us an email if you want. We'll answer your question. Always college football at gmail.com. So that's it. Those two things. It's the big things. There you go. What's his like what's a Greg McElroy fact that would surprise people that he'd be okay with you sharing right now? <laughs> don't get fired, Jack. Yeah. Um okay, there's a lot, but I just don't know which one to pick. Okay, well he grew up a Longhorns fan and then he beat the Longhorns in the natty. That's really okay. interesting. That is good. Um, and he's still kind of a Texas fan. His his mother's side's a Florida State fan, so he like in his heart, he's always going to kind of be partial to the Seminoles and the Longhorns, and, and now, of course, the Tide. But, yeah, I, I guess that's the fun fact. I'll, I'll leave it at that for now. There you go. See a coffee guy or no? Does he wake up and just pound, like, the Dan Campbell, just espressos? How is he getting through it? Um, he he does drink coffee, but he, I wouldn't call him a coffee guy. The mm. An interesting thing about Greg is before we tape, he wants to – have like well we usually do it on his terms but he's always like hey give me 30 minutes and then he just runs like in that 30 minute block he just runs miles like two and a half huh. three miles he'd just go hard and then it come in he's all sweaty and he's like now i'm ready and you're like all right let's go <laughs> you're like started as soon as you can because greg's amped up right now let's not waste this and he just rips so after a run is when mcelroy is always the most entertaining but also when he is the you know, it's always, I don't want to say mean, but he's always kind of crude to the producers in a fun way. You know, he's always messing with us. So after post run McElroy is the best McElroy you're going to get. That's a fun fact. I love that. Maybe I, that's what I've been, I've been missing uh, is I need to start running before all these pods. I need to, <laughs> I need to do that. It's the blood pumping for sure. Yeah, that's wild. I love that. Um, Ryan, uh, what about you? What can the good folks check out from you this week? Yeah, I'll have stuff uh, on the Orange Bowl tonight from from back in Nashville, but Jack and Rick will have all the good stuff uh, for us live down in Miami. And then plenty of stuff uh, on the basketball team from opening SEC play at Ole Miss. We'll have stuff looking ahead towards Mississippi State and uh, should have a, a Jemai Meshack feature story sometime later Ooh, next week ahead of South dope. Carolina. So that one will be a good one to check out uh, probably, yeah, right around a week from now. There you go. Uh, you heard it here first. Josiah Jordan-James, the best shooter on Tennessee's basketball team and also – uh joe milton uh in the tennessee volunteers uh just destroy the clemson tigers <laughs> on the road tonight in miami uh in the orange bowl that's how things go and we all agree unanimously on this podcast and that's what we love <laughs> jack ryan thank you as always and uh i will talk to you both very soon sounds great this has been ingram radio voice of the atlanta braves and i'm here to tell you that you've reached the end of today's episode of the chase thomas podcast as a friend of the podcast, I'd like to say thank you for listening to today's episode and hope you return for the next one. To show your support for the program, tell a friend or coworker or even a family member about the program. And if you're an Apple Podcast listener, leave the show a rating and a review. It goes a long way. That'll do it for me. But don't forget to listen to myself and the rest of the team at 680 The Fan and the Braves Radio Network this season. Go Braves! Chase, I think I'm going to hear more about you. I really do. I think you've got a way about you, but you're interviewing, mm-hmm. you're, um, pleasantness, you're smart. So I think I'm going to hear big things about you.
Nicely done, nephew. Chase Thomas Podcast. Hell yeah.